Welcome to the Voices of Young People podcast brought to you by Springtide Research Institute. In each episode, we hear directly from young people as they respond to our research and share about the issues impacting their lives. As sociologists and researchers, we see a new story unfolding for young people, one that moves beyond traditional institutional boundaries and requires careful attention to the inner and outer lives of emerging generations. At the intersection of being and becoming, it's the voices of young people. Hello, welcome again to the Voices of Young People podcast. I'm Marta Abawaji. This is season seven, and it coincides with our mental health series. We are digging into all things mental health throughout 2022 and beyond because that is our, our commitment right now, that we want all of our researching and our reporting to support mental health uh, resources. We have a number of different publications that are being released. And this podcast season is talking to young people in all different stages of life. We have young people who are in their teens up through young professionals. And today we have Adiam and Daniel who are both in their mid twenties. Um, they're the end of our, our age spectrum for spring tide. Uh, we, we listen to young people ages 13 to 25. And so they might be bringing examples from their present life as young professionals, as well as hearkening back to, to previous years. But we're so excited that they're, they're lending their stories to us in this mental health and Gen Z series. Let's have Adiam, will you introduce yourself first? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Adiam Tespasalasi. I am 25 year old, um, living in Washington, D.C. I am currently a graduate student um, studying data science, and then I work as a policy analyst um, in D.C. And a fun fact slash hobby of mine is that I really like to paint. Oh, I wish you all could see us on Zoom right now because where we're recording this, there's beautiful paintings behind Adiam. That are the, is that your own artwork right behind you? They actually are. <laughs> this is so cool. I know Adiam from from previous time uh, in life. We both lived in Colorado and. I didn't even know this art side of her. So I'm learning new things myself uh, already as we get started in this conversation. So uh, yeah, more to come on your art. That's really awesome. Daniel, what about you? Will you give us a little bit of an intro to who you are? Well, hello, I'm indeed Daniel. I'm 24 years old, living in Nevada as a Catholic Chinese American, and I am hopefully going to be overseas soon. I'm Looking at grad schools and international studies, but my current role is working for a Catholic mission that's heading off to Southeast Asia very soon. So as a return Peace Corps volunteer, different types of international work has been very important to me. And the pandemic has made it a little more difficult yeah. lately to be doing international service. So grateful for the opportunities I have, and I'm looking forward to forward in my career in the next few years. Well, I'm so excited that things are working out for you. Cause I know as we've been in communication, you've been like, can I go? Can I not go? Can I go? Can I not go? Um, but you've, you've really maintained as far as I can tell a lot of optimism through all the, the uncertainty with pandemic travel. Daniel is one of our springtide ambassadors. You can learn more about what our ambassadors do on our website, but he contributes, um, 
with a cohort of young people from all across the U.S. in a 15-month program. And so several of our ambassadors are in this podcast season. Well, thank you both again for joining. I'm curious, with mental health, when, when you hear that phrase, what are some immediate things that come to mind? I think a counseling offices, first and foremost, and primarily the one from my undergrad. I distinctly remember the look of it. Very peaceful, very serene, lots of light, lots of plants. And I think for me, when I think of mental health, it's usually a, a positive connotation. I think of like mental health positivity, but I think it's also part of just my generation. I think um, throughout public schooling, I think that mental health was brought up in terms of how do we reduce anxiety? How do we do mindful meditative activities to try to not stress so much? And I think even as I was getting ready for exams in K-12, teachers would remind us, well, you've been studying, so don't stress about it because you ideally will do well. And so I think I've generally had just a positive association with mental health. So when I think of it, I think of that serenity and the joy, like we're helping people, we're giving people goodness in their lives. That's cool. That's a, that's a cool association. What about you, Adiyam? I feel like my, I've had different associations with mental health throughout my life. I would say throughout high school, never thought about mental health. Um, and mainly because I never really heard mental health being used. Or a lot of times when I heard any topic regarding mental health, it was very negative. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just chose not to think about it, not to look into it, et cetera. And it wasn't until probably my late teens, early twenties, like college, where I was like, huh, what is mental health? And a lot of it for me initially was just like trying to understand myself better, mm. like trying to diagnose myself. and just like, why do I feel nervous all the time? Like, I don't understand that. And really hearing more about like access to therapy on campus. That was the first time I've had access to a therapist. Um, and even just like making the decision to be like, I'm going to talk to a therapist. Um, I think uh, now in my mid 20s, I feel like I have a very positive association with mental health. Um, I think now more so like, oh, mental wellness and how do and what does that mean for me is making sure that, you know, my mental health, like my I feel good mentally, that I feel at peace and et cetera. And so it's, uh, it's definitely like an interesting journey throughout. Um, but yeah, right now I feel like it's most, mostly a positive association. Yeah, that, that arc of where you've been and where it's come up for you more and where you've grown and where you even sought out professional help is, is really helpful to hear um, as you're at the tail end of of the age of young people we listen to as we talk with high schoolers in this podcast season, some who are starting to consider new ideas as they're getting different messages about mental health. Um, some who are looking out for resources for themselves or for a friend. If, if you um, were looking to, to get support for, for your mental health, who would you turn to? I mean, you've both mentioned that you've, been in a counseling center or you've been in a therapist's office. So is that directly who you would turn to or is there an intermediary um, that you would connect with for yourself or a friend? I think now I feel like 
I have a group of support system that I can turn into that I could turn to, uh, whether it's days that I'm having a really bad mental health day or days that I, you know, experiencing anxiety, whatever it may be that I feel comfortable and I feel like it's a safe space for me to reach out and say, hey, I feel X, Y, and Z way. Can you support me in X, Y, and Z way? Um, and then on top of that, I, I've been really fortunate to have like supervisors who are very much so, uh, who have created such a positive environment at work for mental health. So they're very open about uh, their mental health wellness and their mental wellness journey, but also just really encouraging us to take time off when we need it for our mental health. And that being normalized has helped tremendously. Wow. I love hearing that. We're, we're hoping to dig into that exact type of setting for, for some of our research in terms of workplaces. And a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, don't talk about mental health at work. But the fact that you have supervisors who are, who are modeling that of like, here's what wellness looks like. Um, and, and making it more of an open dialogue, I think is really significant. What, what about you, Daniel? Are there people that you would turn to, um, for yourself or, or for a friend in, in seeking out support? Yeah, you'd be pleased to know my workplace also feels very strongly about mental health. That's and they, great. Uh, particularly when I'm going to be out in the field, they have these weekly check-ins set up. And uh, throughout my training, they insisted that if there is anything that I do need, they, they will help me find it. So uh, I, I kind of think of them like mission control, where I can talk to them every week and have, have some sort of really good conversation, actually. Um, lots of different things to check up on. And even right now, I think being out of school, I don't first think of the counseling center anymore, but I think also too, just learning the the mental health techniques and strategies to be well. I think I, I don't feel like I need to go as much. Whereas before I just sometimes didn't have the tools, didn't have the resources. So then I'd go there, get them, but now I have them. So I think nowadays, if there is something that comes up, I might reach out to my spiritual director and ask about it. Cause I, I've been more since graduation, trying to engage more with my faith life. And I find that sometimes it's more just leaning into my faith where I, I find that the, the wellness, the fulfillment that um, before I might've been like, ah, what am I doing? And then like, I'll read something in scripture or talk to like a very spiritual friend and they'll explain something to me that I think, oh, shucks, I never looked at it that way. <laughs> so Suddenly I don't worry about it. So I think uh, nowadays leaning more at those spiritual resources, but yeah, I love employers who do a, how are you question? Not like a, how are you doing at work question, but literally just, how are you? And I, mm. I think um, it, it just generates such positivity. Yeah. If they really want to know how you're doing. Right. And you don't feel like there's going to be, you know, some sort of retribution if you really reveal like, no, I'm, I'm having a hard, a hard time. Right. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you, you both can speak to, to atmospheres where, uh, yeah, it's, it's normalized. Like Adiam said earlier to, to mention mental wellness rather than it being something that's shameful or you need to like, pretend isn't a reality. Uh, I'm really heartened to hear that. We, we also um, know that 
people listening to this podcast sometimes are our other adults or could be employers, could be faith leaders, could be educators, and sometimes it's other young people listening. And so I think just having you both automatically like towards the beginning of the conversation offer, hey, yeah, I've sought out therapy, um, whether that was on a campus setting or in in your young adulthood, that's significant too. I, I've had multiple um therapist through different seasons of life. And I feel like the more I can say that out loud to peers, to young people, the more it can just be like, yeah, you go to the doctor, you go to the dentist, you can go to go to, um, to a therapist as well. So I, yeah. I so appreciate you already offering that you have considered and utilized formal support. Yeah. Well, that was exactly the argument that was posed to me in undergrad that made me think, well, shucks, if our student fees are already paying for it, then <laughs> yeah, I should right? just go. <laughs> that part where it's like, with all this money that I'm paying in fees, of course, I'm going to use it and see what's up. <laughs> I love it. You all are speaking my language. That was that was me in grad school. I was like, yep, I will be making weekly appointments. And I'm so glad I did. And I was able to encourage other friends. like. Hey, I've gone. I've gone. It's been helpful. Um, why, why not take advantage of it? So um, besides that formal support, what are like activities or practices that you all lean to lean into when you're feeling stressed or anxious or down or whatever the, the mental health um, reality is? Is there is there something you do? Um, that you find to be a helpful practice? I think as often as possible, I like to go on walks. Of course, sometimes the weather's not great or sometimes I'm just exhausted. So I'm like, ah, I don't want to leave the house. But I feel like when I am able to go outside, just get my body moving, be able to look at the surroundings, I think it's a good reset for me. Uh, Helps also just get the thoughts rolling in a way that I can start to I guess, box them, categorize them, see what's going on. I really like journaling, but I find that if I'm like super stressed, then I don't even know what to write. So I need need a chance to at least do that breather. Uh, I also like prayer. I find that when I'm able to sit quietly with something, I think after I get the Russian thoughts away, like if I'm super stressed and then kind of do the walk, do the physical thing, try to get that out of me. Then when I'm able to settle down a little more, take it to prayer, reflect on it, see uh, what God can perhaps help me with so that I'm not trying to do this all on my own. And then journaling, typically I'll get out what's, okay, this seems to be what's going on here. This is my take on it. If I feel like I've pretty well found a resolution from that, then um, yeah, life is good. Keep going. Uh, if I do feel like that I might need something more, sometimes I'll just Google it and see if, uh, oh, hey, if I'm feeling this way about something, is is this a normal thing to feel or how do people usually resolve this? Got to be careful, of course, on the Internet. Make sure the sources <laughs> seem solid sure, sure. and that I'm not just listening, reading some blog posts <laughs> and not seeing where the blog post is citing. But if it is like pretty, pretty intense, maybe I'll write to my spiritual director or I'll write to a friend and to say like, Hey, this thing going on, what do you think? And, um, actually a lot of close friends who, who work in things like social work or the social sciences, I find they are such listening ears or, um, people who read my texts and <laughs> give me some, 
nice insight to, to keep me going. But those are usually the typical oh, practices. Great. First, something yeah. for the immediacy, then figure out what it is and move forward from there. Oh, I like how there's there's things you do that are like, this is just me getting something in my head, working out in my body or working out on paper or in prayer. And then there's also a place I'm hearing from you that's trying to seek out just solidarity and connection, whether that's through what you read online or what you connect with, with someone, you know, um, both, both being, yeah, really valid ways to be like, I'm not the only one who's experiencing something like this. So Adiyam, what, what would you say for you? Yeah, I think pretty much kind of the same. Um, I think over the years, I am learning to sit with my feelings. Um, and usually I was never that person who sat with my feelings. It's like, I don't want to think about it. I'll move on. And that's my self-care. <laughs> obviously, like the longer things went in, it's like the more bottled they become. And then eventually they explode. And that's what I learned about myself. And so oftentimes when I'm um, sad or irritated or whatever feelings that I'm feeling, I usually just sit with myself, really like go on a bike ride, fill the air. Like I love filling the air when I ride a bike. And it's like my favorite thing to do. So it helps me at least calm down. Um, go on a walk, go, I live by Rock Creek Park, which is really nice and super like accessible for a walk. So I feel like I'm in a forest. So it's like, oh, I'm isolated. Um, yeah. And then I think definitely prayers and um, listening to gospel music and worship songs. I think that helps just a lot um, with my spiritual life, prayers for sure, reading scriptures. Um, and then that's like one thing I'm definitely learning how to do is also just seeking out people and really talking to talking through why I'm feeling certain ways. Cause I sometimes have ways of invalidating my feelings and being like, oh, I'm overreacting. That's fine. Right. And just like mm -hmm. really being able to call up my friends or my sisters to say, Hey, let me tell you about what happened. And just to have somebody validate my feelings yeah. helps a lot. And then um, one thing that I've also learned to do, especially like um, I started painting. So Marta, you said you didn't know about my artistic side. Yeah. I didn't hear until, like, <laughs> until I was like 22, I think. Um, I, I was like, I've always been interested in painting or just like art in general, but I never really suck it out. And so when I, I think it was like, college end of college I was really just like not necessarily going through identity crisis per se but just really trying to understand the different transitions in life right and I'm like I felt like all my life my identity was tied to me being a student me being a good student mm -hmm. and now I've graduated I moved to a new city no one knows me and like who am I I don't know and so that really led me to a place where I'm like okay I want to be able to explore myself um creatively and when I first moved to DC, I um, moved here without knowing anyone, visiting the city prior. I didn't visit DC prior. And so for me, it's, the science is really loud. I'm sorry. Um, and so for me, it was, okay, so how do I spend my time, but also really uh, feel this experience of being in a new city, the loneliness, missing home, et cetera. And so I just started painting and that really allowed me to transform my feelings and my emotions into a creative manner. And that's been like 
super helpful is something that I still do on days where I'm just like super overwhelmed. I'm like, it's okay. I'll do everything else later. I'm just going to paint. I don't even know what I'm painting, but it's going to be something. It's going to mean something later on. And so um, those are some things that I do when I'm dealing or yeah, those are things that I do to release some of my emotions and deal with my mental health. Oh, oh that, that is awesome. I agree. There, I mean, there was, Oh my gosh. Do, do you want to go about it? No, <laughs> no go for it, Daniel. I'd love to hear your Yeah. There was one year of undergrad where for Lent, I decided to do like a daily self-tending thing. And a lot of times it wound up being drawn in my sketchbook or just singing some song. And it, it was mostly because that spring, I just felt like, wow, I am doing so much. I just need to do something for me. And so I, <laughs> I definitely resonated with like, oh, I didn't know that was in me because I, I didn't really yeah. start singing till undergrad. But then when I realized like, wow, this this melody in my soul can help me convey whatever this feeling I'm feeling is. Uh, or like the way I draw sometimes, I'll look back through my journal, like some days it's just like scribbles and jagged lines. <laughs> Other days it's like all flowy and wonderful and things kind of patterned together or it's, or it's both. And then I think, wow, that must have been a complicated day. <laughs> I don't know what was going on there. Just a quick break to give a shout out. Springtide is able to offer this podcast because of donors who make our research and actionable insights possible. After reading our work-life report, Nathan wrote, Springtide Research has done it again with their timely, accurate, and helpful research as they peer into what this generation is thinking. I found it especially helpful because I work at a church where most of the members are 60 plus, and I've been working on engaging younger folks. This research is an invaluable tool. You can see more of our current findings on our website, springtideresearch.org, where you can also make your own tax-deductible donation with a variety of giving options. Now, back to the episode. We have um, connections, expectations, and purpose as these driving themes throughout all of our research um, on mental health. And I'm wondering when it comes to connections, um, if there's been people in various communities you've been a part of, whether that is work or a faith community that you've mentioned or a volunteer space, a social space that you feel like there's someone there, a particular person that you've been able to trust to talk to about mental health. It might not be a, you know, an actual therapist, but you've been able to say, you know what, we can actually have a conversation about about this, um, just to get things out in the open more. I think what I really like as far as people who I can talk to are people where we're already friends, usually in a faith community, but that their professional field also happens to be one that involves mental health or counseling or wellness, where those friends, I particularly like how well, for one thing, we have a friendship. So I, like they know me on a deeper level than just coming to work or coming to church. But then they also have the professional background to be able to say like, oh yeah, this is a very common thing for people in your age demographic. <laughs> and I like, oh, well, shucks. Okay, that's pretty good to know. And I like how, um, I mean, I'm, I'd be open with many friends anyway, but 
to know that those friends also do have some professional background or research background that gives them that extra lens that I know is an informed one and not simply just a guess, I think is really helpful. Because uh, then I also know, I mean, even if I'm talking to any friend, like pretty much any close friend can give me validation, but <laughs> validation isn't always enough. And so I think having, uh, as I mentioned, my spiritual director or the, the friend who does social work, I think both of those two have been at least more recent, the kinds of people that I, even for the past few years, if there was something, shoot an email, shoot a text, but uh, particularly in more recent days, I've just found that uh, they're really great. If I just want to celebrate joy or if there is something where I'm like, this is just consistently coming up for me. What do you make of this? <laughs> Seem to always have some nice insight for me. That's great. That's great that you have those sort of connections. Yeah, I think for me, um, former colleagues have been just really amazing. I feel like I've met really wonderful people that I can feel like that I could trust to go to um, during you know, some of my bad days. Um, I think current work or my current work, I would say um, they create, they've created this amazing environment where we're free to talk about mental health and et cetera. And, but that's also something I'm still um, adjusting to, right? Like, I don't know how to talk about mental health and that's takes a lot of trust. That takes a lot of just yeah. like, barriers to go through um even though the space is there if i want to talk to my supervisor and say hey I actually been feeling x y and z way like i'm sure she will be willing to listen to me um but that's something i always have a hard time with is just really expressing like hey um let me talk to you but i feel like i'm fortunate enough to have some um, friends that i've developed over the years in my faith community, um, as well as just like some of my hobbies to really be able to go to and talk to. Um, but yeah, that's, I feel like that's something I'm still just really going over the hurdles with just, just feeling comfortable to talk about my mental state of being. Yeah, I get that. I get that in, in my mid thirties where it's like, how much do I want to divulge in this space compared to, to another setting? Um, and that's, that's why I think part of our research, we want to empower trusted adults in so many different types of settings. Like if we only were talking about educators, we'd be missing a lot of other spaces and organizations and institutions when mental health is a reality everywhere. It's not, as, as you both know, it's not something you only experience in, in one setting. Um, with expectations, with that level of um, positive and negative expectations in, in a workplace setting, is there anything you can say is like, you know what, this is, this is something I came to learn as a really helpful way for expectations to set me up in, in all mental wellness, or um, if you have an example of something that was maybe harmful um in terms of expectations and what could have been better or what could be better in the future i like when a manager or a supervisor and this is referencing actually one of the jobs that i'd worked um explicitly says that we can put anything on the table that um if we're going through something that 
the manager or the supervisor encourages us to bring it up that it's like a no judgment sphere. They, and going back to that genuine, how are you feeling? How are you doing? I think that when I know I'm in that kind of workplace and even back in undergrad, when I was in those kind of classrooms where if the professor said it on syllabus day, let me know if something's stressing you out. I do want to work this out with you. I think whenever the person in charge makes that explicit from the beginning, that sets me up for success. Cause I, I do take note of that. I think, okay, all right. If something comes up, I'll be sure to bring it up. Yeah. And the, the flip side of thing is also true to a point. I think over the years I've just developed more courage. So I don't really worry so much if, if someone didn't explicitly say it, I still might like, Hey, going through something right now, can we extend the deadline or can we make this work so that it's beneficial for all of us? Uh, but on, at the same time, I mean, if they don't explicitly make it clear, then now I got to do the mental gymnastics of like, okay, if I bring it up, like, <laughs> is this going to go over well? And, and so I think when it's made explicit, very clear from the start, that makes life a lot better. Yeah, that's helpful to hear. I definitely agree. I think um, making it explicitly known that mental health is a priority in the workplace or um, at school, et cetera, is important. But also one thing that I found important beyond that is when leaders, supervisors actually practice those things, right? Like if let's say an organization is saying that we value mental health, et cetera, and you see them like never miss a day and you see, you hear them talk about how stressed they are, but they don't take time off, et cetera. Then obviously that's not encouraging me to seek out help or to take a mental health day or whatever it may be. Um, in my current job, by when I first started, actually, my supervisors and some of the team lead were like, oh yeah, like every time I had met with them, I remember my supervisor being like, yeah, um, just a heads up. I like to take mental health days like frequently. I struggle with X, Y, and Z. And, you know, if that's something you struggle with, like, I definitely want you to reach out to me if you need to talk to me about it. Like, definitely I'm open. And that was like very welcoming. But then I, it was also really great to see her, you know, just say, I'm taking a mental health day. I'm yeah. off. Don't reach, you know, or the days I'm like, Hey, I'm taking a mental health day. And she's like, okay, cool. You don't need to check your email. You don't need to slack me. You're good. Take mm. your time. And I didn't feel like I needed to provide any more explanation. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that is like amazing. Um, and contrary, like I had worked at a place where we had a lot of sick days and I didn't feel like I could take a mental health day because I felt like I needed to be at a hospital in bed to take a sick day, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's not necessarily the resources that are available, what like where policies are there, but also how are they being communicated? Like you said, Daniel, just making sure that they are explicitly known. Um, I think for school particularly, I think, uh, professors do need to reiterate that just part of it, um, particularly for like I myself, I was a first generation college student uh, in a predominantly white institution. I already felt like I was an imposter. And so to be brave enough to ask for a mental health day or for an extension on an assignment because I was overwhelmed, I that was something I couldn't do just because I felt like I had to work extra harder. And so really um, 
taking into account of different identities and just making it explicitly known is so important, especially in school settings. Oh man, those examples are so helpful. Like first off, just the fact that you have a supervisor who models what it looks like to take time off and that the expectation is clear. Like when you're off, you get to really be off. Like I'm not expecting you to still send that email, even though you're, you're using a sick day. I love that your manager's like, I'm piecing out myself for my own mental wellness. Like that already is like, okay, if the boss is doing it, like, uh, that's, that is such a prime way to model, um, what the expectation is. And to your point about all different identities being held in higher ed with, it's not always as simple as just following um, an invitation. The invitation is great, but there has to be even more consideration in terms of how that's going to hit someone. Um, different personalities, different backgrounds, different experiences of like, okay, can I really get some some extra support here, some extra understanding around this assignment or this deliverable with within an academic setting? Um, I think your own example there, Adiyam, is is really helpful because uh, I, I hope professors give the invitation, but then I think there still has to be added mindfulness. It can't just end with, well, I told them they could come to me. There might have to be some, some follow-ups. There might have to be um, more specific understandings around each student's ex- current experience. Um, so yeah, I hope that the professors and the educators and teachers listening um, hear that that invitation from both of you was so helpful. And then how does that invitation continue to be embodied um, throughout the course of this semester? Yeah, when, I, I want to add to that too. Please. When I was an upperclassman, I'd also try to encourage the underclassmen on those lines. And I think having had the experience of getting the didn't expect an extension on this moment of, oh, okay, so this is actually doable. And so I try to impart this to the underclassmen and some of them similarly, like, oh, I've never thought of that before. I didn't actually realize the professor meant it when the professor said to talk to them about it. And I would always encourage them with those experiences of, well, this was happening to me. And then I reached out at this time and the professor was really great. I also wanted to add to that. <laughs> my manager was very clear too about those day off expectations. He he said something like, "If you, I like, then this is different workplaces too." But I'd have managers who say like, "If you text me on your day off, I'm going to ask you what are you doing." <laughs> so that's actually my current. That's my current uh, workplace where they uh, they're very clear about having uh, work six days a week, but the seventh day is definitely take the day off. And so my current workplace, they were like, yeah, Daniel, we, we shouldn't be <laughs> getting a message from we you. We don't want to hear from you when you're off. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's when I realized, oh, this is serious. I, I, this is my day off. <laughs> well, that, that leads me to the next point with purpose, with, um, you know, purpose here. I want to ask specifically if you feel like having a sense of purpose, whether that's connecting to um, 
something with within your work as a, as a driving sense of purpose or purpose beyond whether that's like a cause, a movement, a community, a sense of higher power, connecting, you know, just to like the global community, whatever, or multiple iterations of that. Do you feel like having that connection to purpose, does that have an impact on your mental health? Yes. Um, I think for me, when I first, um, you know, got out of college and joined the professional world, I didn't know my role. I didn't know how I was contributing to a workplace. Um, I was working at a research institute and I was the youngest and all these people like so many degrees. So I'm like, uh, I'm just here. Right. And like, I, I stopped myself making my presence like very insignificant compared to those who are around me. Um, but one thing that I, that helped me a lot was just having supervisors and colleagues really make it known that my contribution, whether it's my background, my, um, my lived experiences. So I work in, um, currently I work in policy area that particularly focuses on poverty and that they make it known that having lived in low income communities or in low income household is a value on its own because we are writing about poverty. And my lived experience is more valuable or as valuable as those who study poverty. Right. Wow. Yeah. That helps me feel like what I'm contributing, what I'm saying is as important as what, you know, those people with PhDs and so many master's degrees are saying. And so that feeling of like, oh no, what I'm saying matters. And also what we are working towards can help X, Y, and Z ways. Um, I think understanding that just helps my mental health. It doesn't make me feel insignificant. It makes me feel like I'm contributing equally. And that's really helpful. Oh, that's so great that it's not just like, this is what I have hanging on my wall. So therefore my opinion is valid hanging on my wall in terms of like people who hang degrees on their wall, <laughs> but like your lived experiences is just as valuable. And that, I mean, doesn't, well, I don't know if everyone wants that, but I feel that doesn't everyone want to feel like their work that they matter at work and who they are matters at work. Um, so the fact that they've made that so explicit, I think is tremendous. Daniel, how would you answer that in terms of connecting to something bigger than yourself, that sense of purpose aligning with, with mental wellness or mental health? Well, I'm definitely a doer. And so I like to know when I'm in a company and I'm on a team, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> find that when it comes to things like company missions or team goals, if there aren't clear goals, I'm usually one, the one to set them because I find if I don't know what the goals are, then that's just bumbling anxiety. I don't know what I'm getting measured at. If, am I doing well? Am I doing poorly? I can't tell. <laughs> so I think for me, when I know what the goals are, that already helps with wellness, but especially if they're goals that I agree with, like if I don't have any moral or ethical concerns with those goals where I can just throw myself at them and have at it, I really love those environments. Because sometimes I feel like, and we've talked about this a bit, where there might be a policy, but then the actual implementation of the policy isn't so close to what the policy says. And 
I'm a very literal person. If a policy says something, I'm going to honor it the way it's written. <laughs> so I think sometimes I've felt a lot of frustration if I'm on a team and the policy says one thing, but then my higher ups aren't running it the way it's written or, um, I feel very strongly that something I'm trying to get done that would benefit the mission if they're putting these barriers in front of me when I, I see very clearly how I can execute it. But if there's like someone on top who just feels like, oh, this is going to be more work for them if I'm trying to get something done on my end, those areas just really frustrate me. And so I think when it's, first of all, clear goals, clear mission, and then something that I can also relate with where I, it resonates with me, and then when the path is made straight enough that I can then go forth to fulfill the goals, fulfill the mission, then that really helps me a lot. Cause I think, especially too, when I'm in workplaces where people honor that personal connection, where they honor what unique things I bring to the table, then I feel really good about the job. And, and some workplaces recognize that within my career, maybe it's not the final destination, maybe this is a place where I'm, especially like an internship where I'm coming, I'm learning a lot of skills and I'll probably bring them somewhere else. I like when those managers still recognize what I bring to them and they recognize what they can bring for me. And so it feels a lot like a partnership in that sense. And so I think when, when that all comes together where I know what the mission is, I can help to work toward that mission. And even if there are aspects that perhaps manager and I don't see eye to eye on, at least if we, have an understanding at least as best we can of who am I, what am I trying to do? Who are they? What are they trying to do? And we're, we're working together. We're on the same team. Then those things just set me up for a lot of good times wherever I am. As kind of a final thought is, is there a question or an idea that you feel like is really important in this mental health conversation that's been missing from, from our dialogue today? I'm really passionate about social media. And I think that so many people in my generation are on social media so much. And I can't exclude myself, I'm, I'm on it too. And I think what really helped me in trying to develop better mental health was to follow pages and people that post good mental wellness things. Uh, for example, on Tumblr, follow blogs that post about like positive study tips or nice mental health quotes or just nice poetry quotes. I, I like art. I like nature. So yeah. following blogs that post these things. Because I, I find when I'm, say, scrolling just for a while, maybe taking a break, that by purposefully following interspersed with whatever else I'm following, these positive things, these wellness things, that it it keeps putting it back at the front of my mind. And so regardless of how difficult global situations could be, like the international news that I might see popping up on the Facebook feed, then I'll also see these positive things. And of course, liking the posts that are positive to me, I know helps the algorithm so that the algorithm thinks, oh, Daniel likes these mental health positive things. Maybe we should put more on his feed. I think is so important and something that I, I don't know how many people do that consciously, but at least for me, that, that helped me a lot. And even now, I'll sometimes talk to some of my friends, we'll be talking about it, Lord knows what, and 
maybe they'll recommend to me some sort of page like, Hey, Daniel, this thing that you were talking about, turns out there's a page that I follow for that. You should look them up and I'll look them up and I'll see some cool quotes. And I think, Oh, I could follow this. And even um, like within the last week or two, I remember just scrolling and seeing one of those pages that I'd recently followed because a friend recommended it. And I, I liked how they keep reinforcing those positive messages. So that is definitely a generational difference that uh, people who are in their mid twenties and younger certainly are on social media in these formative years, more than the people who did not have social media at the time. And I love how social media for all the bubbles that it creates and um, the divisions that can sometimes result from it. There's a lot of community and a lot of connectivity that can also follow through very intentional use of it. Yeah. So you're like, cultivate your space, your social media space with, with Amen. what you want in there. That's, that's a good last word from you. That's yeah. That's a really good one. Absolutely agree. And I think one thing I want to add is just take everything you see on social media, even when it's about mental health with a grain of salt. Um, I say this particularly because I've seen a lot of, like pages on TikTok of therapists or, you know, um, Instagram pages on mental health, et cetera. And some of their advices could be like, it's, it could be very like based on one particular situation. And I imagine myself as 18 year old, 21 year old. I'm like, oh, had I taken this advice, I would have cut off everybody in my life. Right. Mm. And obviously community is really important for mental health like I know community my community is really important for my mental health and being able to communicate better and develop um tool communication tools conflict resolution tools are really crucial for my mental well-being and so really just understanding to take everything that we see on social media with a grain of salt just because uh one advice does not mean it applies to everything um yeah uh And then the other thing is, I think when we talk about mental health, we both have talked about, you know, having seen therapists and et cetera. Um, But unfortunately, one thing about therapy is it's not cheap. It's expensive. (laughs) And uh, fortunately for, you know, those of us um, in college, we do have access to, I think most people um, in undergrad do have access at least for five sessions a semester on their school campus for free. However, um, those who may not be working or who don't have insurance or who are not in school don't necessarily have access to therapy. Um, But there are so many great resources. Um, Like I started, when I started my mental health journey, I was listening to podcasts just to even think about like, oh, how does the situation fit me? Or, you know, how can I analyze my life based on this conversation, et cetera? Um, like you said, Daniel, um, social media is really great. Again, just like everything that we see out in the space, taking it with a grain of salt because each situation is very different from our own life. You guys have brought so many stories to life today. I am, can't thank you enough. It's been really fun to dig into this with both of you. And I'm just cheering you both on in these next steps in your careers, in, in your graduate school pursuits. Thank you. And, uh, we, we are honored that your stories can shape younger 
people um, in your generation, as well as the trusted adults listening in. Visit springtideresearch.org to hear more voices of young people and to learn about the latest research and resources available in our mental health and Gen Z series. Springtide Research Institute is supported by donors who believe in the critical research and insight generating work we do on behalf of young people. Make your own tax deductible donation with a variety of giving options on our website today. Be sure to follow us on social media at We Are Springtide and interact with the resources in the Springtide series on mental health by using the hashtag mental health and Gen Z. Today's show was produced by Marta Abowaji. The audio was mixed by Andy Palmer with original music created by high school student Christian Unthink. Special thanks to the 16 guests featured in season seven and to all the young people whose perspectives and insights make our research possible. Thank you for listening.